Phil, welcome back. Another Ask a Negotiator episode. This is part two of a sort of two-part question that we're tackling. Um, and it was a question that was submitted by our good friend and colleague, Neil Goodrum, um, who is a mediator here at CEDA. And his question was, how do you talk to somebody who does not want to talk to you? And he broke that down into two parts. The first part was, so how do you talk to someone who just is not speaking at all? Silence, radio silence. And then secondly, how do you talk to somebody who is talking to you a little bit, but they're not being that communicative? They're not that willing to speak to you. So in the previous episode, which I would encourage people to go and listen to if they haven't already, we looked at part one when they're, they're, they're not talking at all. And you provided, I think you talked us through nine tips, practical tips to sort of break yep. that silence. Now we're on to part two. So how do you sort of get people to speak when they're, they are speaking a little bit, but they're clearly not that willing? So, as they say at NASA, we have liftoff <laughs> and they are hesitantly starting to talk. But how can you help that trickle become a flow? Okay. And I think it leads on to my next tip, which I, heard, I call presence. Now, presence is something that could arguably be <laughs> present in both stages. Um, and I was pondering on this word and, and whether it's the right word, but I think being present and remaining present is really important. Um, you might think of it as being resilient, but for me, presence is the right word, as it's more than just hanging around and keeping going. Yeah, because that's um, quite easy. You can... It, it's, yeah. It, just just to physically be there, but to be more than that. Is that what you... Yes, well, the word presence is appropriate because I think it's demonstrating yeah. actively something more. And if I say so often in life, we experience situations where people are quick to pull away, especially if the circumstances are difficult or it's all getting a bit sensitive. I mean, how many times have we heard or even said, well, if you don't want to talk, I'm out of here. Yeah. I'm leaving uh, some other time. <laughs> I'm off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I must be off. Whereas your presence communicates all sorts of things in a non-spoken way. It says, I'm here with you. I'm not leaving. I'm not deserting you in your hour of need. And these sort of messages are reinforced by your physical behavior, the listening position, which we talked about. And if you do speak, what and how you say it, which is all those things mm -hmm. that we talked about in stage one of our podcast. And as a package, it's incredibly powerful. And it not only gets people talking, it keeps them talking. Yeah. No, and I've, I think you know, after the podcast last week, we, we, we were just chatting and we went into like a little bit more detail about when someone is really mm -hmm. engaged with you and how that really does engender a sort of desire for you to speak. So, yeah, very interesting. And, and it's often, okay, so, so we want them to talk some more. And, th yeah. and this is often where in my mind I, I sort of pause a minute and flip these questions on their heads. So when someone is not very communicative, why is that? Are they unsure of you? 
Are they worried about how you're going to react? Do they think you might judge them? Perhaps they don't trust you. Or maybe the topic is personal, or they don't want to give anything away. Cautious about saying too much. And for me, I think about these things and I say, so really my sense is, this is all about their sense of feeling safe and secure. And they're not talking because they don't feel safe and secure. And so what I need to do is to change the circumstances to help them feel safe and secure. And for me, one of the things that will help change these circumstances is by using what I call the questioning funnel in tandem with active listening skills. Now, I, I think I've mentioned the questioning funnel before in a previous podcast. Mm-hmm. Can't remember what it's called. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, let's look at it in this context. And if we think of a funnel, my widest bit's at the top, and it signifies plenty of space and choice for the other person. It's the place, it's the place to start the talking, and what helps is a nice sort of open question, the yeah. sort that we talk about in active listening. And uh, again, in that offline conversation, you did ask me about this, and, and you remembered I call them TED questions because, yeah. and you were you well done, top of the class, well, Ben, full because marks. the TED questions are tell me, yeah, or tell to me, explain to me, and des- or describe to, to me, me. Yeah. yeah, or any other version, just yeah. something that's quite quite wide. And what you do is you let them fill the void with whatever they feel safest and most comfortable to say at that time. Yeah. And does that have something I've just I might be wrong, but I'm just jogging back to previous episodes and we did one about what's the one thing you believe to be true about negotiation and that was there's no such thing as a bad question providing it does what you aim to do. Yeah. So in this situation there's not necessarily a bad question as long as it's being used to try and make somebody maybe feel safe or as long as it does the work okay that you want the question to do yeah so the work the reason i've chosen an open question is the work i want it to do is to make you feel safe yeah to open your mouth some more (laughs) and speak some more and that you and and whatever the reason for not talking you're not feeling that vulnerability and also i know that people feel safe when they have space and choice if you feel you're being pinned down or pointed in a direction that's a bit sensitive or it's a bit clumsy you feel unsafe so the work i want the open question to do is to give that sense of space and choice to you at the moment you feel most vulnerable that is the key yeah. to the quote. So it's not so much what types of... Where everyone says you should use this question, not that question. I tend not to get hung up on it. I <laughs> yeah, think of yeah. what's the work I want the question to do. And then let that shape how you put it to yeah. And then we go with the flow. So you sort of reverse engineer it. Yes. I love the way that you see into my mind. <laughs> it is a strange mind. But having... As they start, their choice to fill the void however falteringly this is where i remember i said in tandem with active listening skills Mm -hmm. so this is where i bring in my active listening schools because it might be quite faltering what they're saying and it's often at this stage that i just want them to talk a little bit more and then a little bit more no rush 
just get them going. And the things that I find out of all the skills that are really helpful is good old silence. or Which is quite unusual because we're talking about breaking potential silence, but you're saying actually use silence. Yeah. Yes, it's my silence yeah. and my pauses in between the words, maybe with a few minimal encouragers, mm-hmm. the nod, the smile or the mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, mm, yeah. Uh, and maybe the odd paraphrase, which is sort of, that's just my my very quick one or two word summary in my words of what you've just said. My And, and you confirm it. And what is it when somebody says a word that's, that stands out to you that's quite a powerful word and you replay that back to them and then say nothing. So if they said, I'm feeling just disgusted and you say, disgusted? Yes. Pause. What, what's that take? Okay, so that, that now you're getting into a bit deeper into active listening. But that's really, really, you're just reflecting back yeah. what they've said or their words. The way I think about it is, if you know from the iceberg model yeah, and yeah. we're trying to get beneath the surface... This is all the hidden stuff. So we all, you know, I might have a view on what disgusted means, but it doesn't matter what I or anyone else thinks. It's what does disgusted mean to you? Because it was your brain that chose that, that word to come out. So I might go, oh, Ben, disgusted? Really what I'm saying is, what does disgusted mean to you, Ben? What is it? What What is... It's like a doorway in my iceberg with a label on it called disgusted. And really what I'm saying is tell me what's behind the door that is labeled disgusted. But again, I'm giving you the magic of it is it's your word. So you can't deny it (laughs) in your head. You're probably thinking, why on earth did I use that word? Yeah. Why did I use that word? And your brain is now thinking about it. And it starts to want to explain, even if it's going to deny. Well, maybe not disgusted, I'm more this. But, but you've given the space for them to say that afterwards. Exactly. With your silence. Exactly. My <laughs> silence want, yeah. creates what's the work I want to be done. I want you to feel safe, that you can tell me what you want to tell me. The magic is you will start talking. Yeah. No. <laughs> and once you start talking, what will come out of your mouth is more little words that yeah. will become doorways in yeah. my iceberg. And through that gentle, incisive process, I will get deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where you think, I never would have believed I would have told Phil all of that. But this is, this is, is, as I say, is, it might be we're getting a bit too deep with these active listening skills because at this stage it's really just silence, mm-hmm. a few minimal encouragers, the odd paraphrase. If you get stuck, emotional labelling is the grease for the vocal cords because <laughs> that normally gets people uh, going. And but all quickly, of this, emotional labelling would just be is my sense of what yeah. may be going on for you. Now yeah. it could be my best guess. It doesn't matter whether I'm close or wrong the mere fact that i try to get a sense of how it's affecting yeah, you okay you'll go yeah that's it phil or no not quite it's this but what's happening then is the other thing that's it's not just using these things because what i want to say is is while i'm doing all this all that stuff that we mentioned in part one of this podcast the being present my listening position the use of my tone injecting uh, you know, pauses, energy, emotion. 
all of this is being used simultaneously. So we, well, I explain to people what they, the power is individually, but it's when collectively they come together, it becomes a real, real force. Use the force, Ben. <laughs> and it's the flow. What this has is the flow of their conversation starts to improve. And as it improves, I then start to mark that progress with summaries of what I've understood about them so far. And and that is the work I yeah. want an open question to do in the in the widest, safest, most free position of my funnel. But as we go along, I'm noting, as I said, these words and these topics that you're raising. And actually, I'm beginning to think now how people often say, oh, but you're not really in charge of this conversation. I go, I am. Because I, I'm now going to do what's probe. I've noted the areas that I think are going to be useful and interesting that I want to explore forward. And so as I'm now going to narrow my questioning slightly by probing into those areas. And it might be I do that, just reflect a word to highlight, tell me about disgusting. Um, it could well be that within that conversation you mentioned something and I actually I want to know precisely what you meant by that or what was the name or how much was that or whatever the issue is. Something that's quite precise that really you can give me in one or two words the answer. Guess what we're now talking about? A closed question. Yeah. But again, what is the work that I want the question to do? If it is to give me that answer at that moment, then it's doing the work I want. It's not right or wrong. It's what's the work that it's doing. And the whole thing is I journey up and down my funnel to identify the sheer scale of what might be out there that you could talk about. I then probe into the areas that I'm interested in and I get really close <laughs> if I want to know detailed specifics which is just to just so that everyone's got that little phrase that you said there is no such thing as a bad question as long as it does the work that it was intended to do yeah no i think i think it's a really good one because i think like you said some there's a tendency sometimes to get hung up on is it a good question is it a bad question is it close or open mm -hmm. but if you reverse engineer and start from the point mm -hmm. of what is it i need it to do yeah. Take it from there. Yeah. yeah, and and I've read many a book which will, uh, uh, you know, not that I can list them, but there might be fifty different questioning styles. And this comes back to my hostage negotiation days. If it's three o'clock in the morning, I'm on the the roof of a high rise building in the pouring rain. Uh, it's dark, and someone's threatening to kill themselves. Can I remember the question? Yeah. If I or technique, if I can't remember technique twenty-seven, it's not it's not worth it to me. No, no. And therefore, it it for me, this is just being about practical, and and at this juncture, I might say, you know, as with you, have have we noticed something about our reluctant talker? And and this brings me on to my other little sort of tip or thing to help people which I call measures of success because given that we started out in absolute silence then we had a word or two and gradually maybe there's sentence a couple of sentences where are we now mm -hmm. 
Is the flow or the volume of their talking increasing? Am I finding that I'm actually having to use less and less of the active listening skills because all I need to do, quite frankly, is be quiet and listen? Word count, longer sentences, less things for you to say or less need for you to say anything to prompt them to say more are all measures of success. And this is where I would say you can take courage and probe into what you may suspect or what you suspect may be more sensitive, more contentious, perhaps a difficult or challenging area that could hold the key to unlocking whatever it is you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose when it comes to that step, it, it's probably quite daunting for people, especially I can imagine business negotiations where, like you said, you're talking about potentially large sums of money, sensitive areas. So if people are worried about taking that next step, probing a bit a bit deeper and further, how can you do that with confidence? Yeah, and, and a lot of people, and I, you know, and I come across this all the time in, you know, in everyday life, but particularly in the business world where we seem to be professional. Yeah. Oh, we can't, we don't do sensitive. We're not going in there. Leave the emotion it, out it, of leave it, all it. All that sort of stuff. But actually, you do need to go there. Uh, and the answer is, is how can you do with this as confidence? And I think as a comedian say, would say, as comedians, teachers, it's all in the timing. So I could say to people, so could you ask this type of question at the beginning of a conversation with a stranger? No, I wouldn't. No, no, no. there's the it, risk too high it, of, it, of it derailing the whole, I don't know, conversation or negotiation. Whatever. Okay. So now a bit like I asked earlier, so why don't people want to talk to you? So, and and we discovered for me, safety, security, which provides my answer to what I do. So what's changed now then? Trust. Aha, we're getting it. Very good. So something has happened. So something has changed. And you've used the word trust. And that and that is the magic. And But let me explain yeah. how we've got there. Because yeah. it, it's good for people to understand. Because if you've done all of the things we've been talking about in these two podcasts, and I would say reasonably well yeah you don't have to be really good or perfect because i'm not yeah well (laughs) and no let's be honest but if you've done them reasonably well because and the other thing is because most of the time as i say we're so poor at it with each other but you will have pushed the four buttons of social influence and you will have shown, and I'll give you the four buttons, you will have shown that you are listening, mm-hmm. that you have understood them, that you are non-judgmental, and that you're non-threatening. Plus, the whole style of what you've been doing is what psychology refers to as building liking and rapport. And it's that that leads to the magic pot of gold that we all would love to have, trust. And in terms of success, this is where they say to themselves much later on, perhaps after the conversation, what on earth made me tell them that? And I would say, would you have changed the circumstances enough so that now the challenge is, how to stop them talking (laughs) because everyone will have forgotten you were the last person on earth they ever wanted to talk to yeah fantastic well that 
Yeah, I mean, shout out to Neil, I think, for, for sending in what was such a, a, a thought-provoking question and for breaking it down like that. And as I say, this was part two of a two-part podcast, so I would encourage you to go and listen to part one. Phil, Phil, thank you as always. And as I always like today, go forth and <laughs> practice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Ben.